Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is episode 191, and I'm super, super excited for this episode because I know there is a bit of a baby boom and a lot of my mates are having having kids and stuff. I'm super, super excited to have Nicola Byrne on the podcast today. So Nicola is the Nicola, is at Nicola underscore adaptation consultant on uh, Instagram. So thank you so much for coming on, Nicola. Thanks for asking me, Shane. I'm delighted to be here today. So I'm going to, we are kind of tit for tat, we're kind of saying who's going to do the intro, but I'm going to get Nicola to do her own little uh, brief intro for the for the episode today. Okay, so I am Nicola. Um, I am a mother of five and I, my background is that I started nursing in Crumlin, the children's house was 17 moved on to the Coombe then and worked in the neonatal unit. I have always loved me. And since I was like able to knock on the neighbors' doors and ask them, could I bring their babies out for a walk? Um, And so now since 2005, I became a lactation consultant, which is kind of like the gold standard in breastfeeding and in breastfeeding help. I have my own private practice, um, breastfeedingsupport.ie. I do antenatal classes. They're group classes online every two to three weeks and then I do one-to-ones ads um, with mothers and their partners and the baby to help establish breastfeeding. They also work on pumping and transition to solids, going back to work. Um, yeah, lots. Um, so that's kind of what, at the moment, what I'm asked, Shane. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a lot there. Um, and I think, like, I know breastfeeding, we were talking off air about, like, it, ca- it can be difficult for a lot of women, it can be difficult for partners to understand, it can be an awful lot of, a, a, an awful lot of different elements to it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the th- things that we're going to kind of talk about in particular is kind of, like, is how important is or is it important for like breastfeeding for the bond between the mother and and the baby uh, and if it is or if it's not why is why is that um i would i think that you know <laughs> from a bonding point of view breastfeeding if it's going well definitely you know it does there is a lovely bond between the mother and the babies they're together a lot more um, because the mom has to feed the baby. And so she tends to feed the baby and everybody else does the other things. Um, but I would really, really like to say that it, it, that does not mean that people who don't don't love their babies or don't care for their babies just as much who breastfeed. I mean, you know, I think that is just anybody who is saying that it's like that is not true i see people who breastfeed and bottle feed and loves their babies and wants the best for their babies so breastfeeding is one of those things that if it's going well it does mean that the mother and the baby are together more and that will you know give a bond but that's you know not something that i would be kind of thinking is one of the most important things about it is there a bit of, is there judgment from people who do and then judgment from people who don't and kind of like a tribe built up? Um, I guess there is, you know, there's, there's, you will find in parts of the country where the numbers of, so here on the East Coast where, like where I, the breastfeeding rates would be very high. Like they're here in Dublin, Southeast, Dunleary, over to Dundrum. The rates are as high as 80%, 88% in some some smaller areas. Um, that's at birth. 
um, down to about 60% at three months. Okay, so that's Dublin, Wicklow, Louth area. If you go over to Donegal, the West Coast, May, the rates are much, much lower. And so you you don't see as much breastfeeding out and about over there. Um, and so it's funny because here in Dublin, you not really get much, you know, kind of um, side eye, <laughs> you know, being out breastfeeding or whatever. You may encounter it a little bit more you know, where it's not seen as being acceptable. But at the same time, you know, the more people, the more people know their rights around it and that it is a, it is legal to breastfeed your baby, and then, you know, I think the, the rates will go up. And so you do tend to get breastfeeding mothers will congregate in different areas because they kind of will have sussed out where the other mothers. That's really interesting. Like you were talking about there, about kind of the kind of, meeting up and the kind of like getting together and stuff like that um and the community that you've built as well like how how to manage for a mother of how to manage breastfeeding in public because there can be a taboo to it but as you said that it's completely legal it's completely human rights like Mm. yeah it's it's just feeding your baby yeah like how to manage that breastfeeding from a mental perspective and also from a what to bring kind of perspective as well but bring the baby obviously (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So from, you know, I would kind of say in my club, people build up your confidence before you, you go, you go out feeding in public. So a lot of people in the, at the start of breastfeeding, you know, their top will be off. They'll be sitting on the bed, three or four goes to get the baby to latch. And they think that that's never going to, you know, get better. It's going to be like that. But a couple of weeks into breastfeeding, for most people, they just put up their top and the baby latches on. Um, and so I would only really be concerned about how the mother herself feels, about what the rest of the population feel. And if she's comfortable doing it, um, it really matters whether she takes her top off <laughs> or not in public. I was, um, I was in a store years ago and I remember being in a big um, department store in Sydney and seeing it's one of those coffee shops, you know, where mothers sit in the in or where people just sit in the middle of the department store. Um, a mother was there and she literally had her whole breast out feeding her baby. And I was like, oh, I've never seen that. Like I had seen I hadn't seen it at home um, and nobody was batting an eyelid. <laughs> and I was like, isn't that amazing? But I did kind of go, whoa. <laughs> um, so I guess it's all about confidence and if people want to be you know discreet and I do find that a lot of the time it's the mum herself who's saying you know I'll be in public you know I'm not going to do it and that's that's fine you know if she doesn't want this feeding rooms a lot of people go back to their car when the baby's smaller <laughs> and will feed in the car or they'll time it um but really like a coffee shop um or a bench down and there's clothes that you can you know you can learn about there's a two method where you pull down one shirt under one top underneath and you pull up the other one and really you know what is thing um where it gets quite funny is and i've had quite a few of these lately the baby's a bit older where the baby's three or four months and in the beginning with breastfeeding a lot of babies are very just give me the boob i just want the boob and they don't want anything else (laughs) And then when three months, they start to realize, oh, there's a whole world out there. <laughs> and so if the mother's feeding and somebody starts to talk to her, they will literally pull off and turn around to look to see what's going on. And really hard because it's, it's 
their feeds are very distracted. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes they will actually, <laughs> I hope it's okay to say nipple and all that here, but we're talking about breast. Um, they will actually like hold on to the nipple and pull it and turn around to look to see who's going. Who's talking to them? Very, it's hilarious, but very frustrating for the mothers. Yeah, like I, I can only imagine. Um, I know there's these like tops as well with the kind of like you tear off the buttons or something like that as well. Yeah, so there's lots of nursing tops and there's yeah. some um, and and more and more now, you know, little breastfeed. Um, so there's a lovely sweatshirt that has two zips on it that I've seen a lot wearing. Um, and I can't remember the name of it now at the moment, but, you know, you can adapt your own or you can buy breastfeeding clothes as well. Um, and that does really help. Um, I'm a big fan of the long cardigans, you know, where you have a long cardigan and you just pull it over in front. Of, um, that's what I would have worn a lot when I was when I was feeding out Amazing. and about. But I also remember one day going to <laughs> going to um, I think it was when third child was born and going to the barber shop with the other two. I don't know what I was thinking. It was one of those days when I was on my own when my husband had gone back to work and I decided I was going to get the boys' hairs cut. We're down in Sam's barber in Cavendish. <laughs> Um, and we were queuing on the bench and I could see that she, the baby was getting a bit antsy and I was thinking, oh God, no, I'm going to have to feed her. I'm going to have to feed her. Um, and it was, I was the only woman in the shop. There were some men. Sam's and Cabin Tealy. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I did it and nobody pilot and it was like, you know, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. And I felt like I was just here, you know, because <laughs> I had managed it. <laughs> No, because Sam, Sam's is tight with in general. There's only what, like maybe four, there's two benches, and then there's, yeah. the, like, there's, there's like three, four there, seats yeah. there, and four or five seats there. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. tight. Um, <laughs> what about kind of like no, it's fine. Everybody just looked at the TVs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the TV over the top corner like, yeah, or the radio. And this is the thing, you know, is that people are sometimes afraid to say to a mother when she's out feeding in public. Like, your beautiful baby or whatever they're terrified that they may embarrass her or a lot of the time that's going on they're just trying to give her and let her get on with it um you know it's not that they're avoiding avoiding with her or anything yeah big time um what about nutritionally for breastfeeding because i think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there there's a lot of stuff like pre and postnatal stuff that like this to go food to go to foods and not to go to mm-hmm. foods and stuff what kind of what what foods would you kind of recommend to kind of the most for kind of breastfeeding and stuff? Oh God, I would say just okay. And like in the beginning, you will feel much better if you eat a good, healthy. Um, does it affect the quality of your breast milk? No, it doesn't really. You know what what will happen is that the baby will get all the goodness. You know, all the vitamins and minerals and all that will be pulled out of you. Um, And you'll be the one who will be depleted. (laughs) The mother will be. Um, The baby will lose out. And so it's a big kind of a myth out there that, you know, your milk, your breast milk could be inferior if you don't have a good diet. Um, One of the biggest probably... You know, I one of the biggest things that you know you have to be careful breastfeeding is caffeine. Caffeine does pass through, and so if you are, if a mother is having more than two to three cups of strong coffee a day, with three hundred milligrams of caffeine, then she would, um, 
possibly have a wakeful, sleepless baby who's a bit jittery. Wants that. <laughs> Caffeine doesn't pass out, doesn't pass out of the body as fast. It kind of accumulates a little bit, passes out. So um, we would say to hold the caffeine. Um, but then, like, you know, like everything, people, some, some babies are not at all sensitive to it. But I couldn't have coffee, uh, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon. I'd be awake that night. My husband can go out and have two espressos after a meal and he's fine. So <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like that. Some are sensitive to it. Um, and alcohol then is the other one that, you know, here in Ireland, it's it's a big factor in what people believe is, you know, uh, one of the reasons why our breastfeeding rates aren't higher is because they think that they can have a drink while they're breastfeeding. So, you know, I mean, the guidance is when you're pregnant, alcohol, when you're breastfeeding, it's different. You, the cycle is much, much longer. It doesn't get the same amount of alcohol. If you had, if you had a drink, it doesn't pass the placenta. It doesn't pass into the breast milk the same way as it crosses the crosses the. So it, um, you can have one drink and feed away. If you had more than one, then you probably wait an hour, an hour and a half. To, before you should feed the baby so you can have a social life you can have a you know a beer in the evening or whatever and continue to sleep that's i think that's i think that's big news for a lot of people i think that's great okay. news i'll put the little uh, sky, sky news yeah. update at the bottom of the page <laughs> yes of course yeah i mean it's it's and as babies get older too they tend to settle you know hopefully seven or eight in the evening and they may not wake for a night feed until 2 3 a.m you know this is kind of around the you know two three month old mark now some babies are don't do that but some do and it gives you a window you know to have a drink or two if you want i yeah. think people you, know, you do have to be kind of careful about if if you have the baby in the bed or if the baby's coming into the bed if you have had a drink that would be the that would be more of a concern than actually the alcohol. Okay. I'm um, like, you talk about there about kind of like the, the feeding at night and stuff. How can you tell your, if your baby is actually hungry or how, and how to actually schedule feeds and make the routine kind of work for mother and baby and, and obviously the, the, mm-hmm. the, the partner as well that's involved. Yeah. So a lot of the time, you know, what's really important first month of breastfeeding is to feed and feed and feed, okay? To build up a big milk supply. <laughs> and that's built up in the early days of breeding. Um, the more milk you build up, then the easier it is in the long run because almost like the baby doesn't have to do as much work to get the milk when the mother kind of is free. <laughs> um, so in the first you know, a few, we would say when the baby looks to be fed, we do what's called demand feeding, which is when they be fed, you feed the baby. You try and feed on both breasts. You don't limit them to one breast. You, uh, things aren't going well. If the baby is, you know, not gaining weight or is really unsettled, suggest maybe adding in some pumping and bringing up the, the milk supply that way. Um, so there's lots of kind of, you know, I think that that window in the first few weeks is really important to, you know, like a racehorse coming out of the, out of the trap, that that's work is done and you reap the benefits later on. Um, and possibly, you know, that's where there's really don't get the help and support is, is when they come home from the hospital, their milk is just coming in 
you know, if they are having long gaps, if they're getting really, really full um, in between the feeds, that all means that the body has been given a message to stick here. So when the breasts aren't drained, what happens is a message goes to the brain saying, we have enough, we don't need any more, <laughs> close down the factory. <laughs> So that's basically what happens. So the more the more feeding in those first few weeks, the more milk there is. And that's what makes it much easier in the long run. Because one of the cool things about breastfeeding is that if you build up, you know, a milk beginning, even if you stop, even if your milk supply drops, comes back really, really fast, it just switches back on within a couple of days. That's the process of relactation. I don't know if you've ever heard of patient. Yeah. <laughs> so relactation would, would we, we hear of it more in natural disasters where, you know, where there's no clean drinking water and where they have stopped breastfeeding and they start again because they don't have access to um, water. And so they start breastfeeding again. Um, it's funny how the body adapts. Yeah. It is. The body remembers and the breast milk cells have memory. We know from pregnancy to pregnancy that they will reactivate faster second time around, third. Um, so with the mother having her first baby, she may not see an increase in milk day four, day five, whereas on second and third and subsequent ones, their milk on day two, day three, which is ah. a bit a bit hard going for the first timers. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Um, and is there a certain age to that, like, like that babies should stop breastfeeding at? That's one of, I suppose, the hotly debated topics. Yeah. The HSE and World Health Organization guidelines are exclusive breastfeeding, which would be nothing else, breast milk for six months. Then you would start solids and breastfeeding um, for two years is what's seen as the optimal outcome. I would yeah that's wonderful if you know if that works for you here in you know and very very few people will get to to two years or or beyond two or three it's a completely different thing feeding a newborn to feeding a one-year-old or a two-year-old it's not even intensity um like a lot of mothers that i would know who are feeding at one one and a half two they're maybe feeding twice three times a day um it does still have an logical benefits at that stage even though people will think it doesn't um i would say whatever works for the mother and the baby and the and the family is you know the right and this is something that i do feel very strongly about that you know judging for breastfeeding too long or judging breast people for not breastfeeding long enough it's like okay just stop that and <laughs> um, if mothers are supported to do what they want to do difference does it make to to anybody yeah, yeah. I, I i agree with you there like, like an individual strive if they want like like it's, it has to be people dependent it has to be person dependent it has to be family dependent yes yeah um yeah. everyone has a choice let them live their choice um yeah, we've fought for enough choice in this world and you know let's not <laughs> let's not, not let's not stand down on some more of them yeah yeah. Um, you spoke there like about kind of the breastfeeding and stuff like that, but there's also an element of fussy eating, uh, fussy breastfeeding, should I say, um, <laughs> when it comes to the kids as well. And there's a thing, I think there's a, a tool called cluster feeding, I think it's called. Say that again? Cluster feeding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, how to work with kind of fussy <laughs> breastfeeding? 
from your own practical yeah. point of view that you, you, that if you, yeah. you work with clients what are the top tools that you use what do i do when fussy breastfeeding so um well Fussing and cluster feeding are probably two different things. So fussy breastfeeding would be where the baby's latching on and off and is getting really frustrated. Most of the time when that happens, it's either two things. It's either that there is not enough milk or there's too much milk. Okay, okay. It's one or the other. It's like Goldilocks, not enough. I'm <laughs> sorry. And, the, you know, what I would do in one kind of consult with somebody is look at the patterns of feeding, look at when they're changing sides, look coming out the other end. <laughs> like, is the baby having lots of um, wet and dirties and what, you know, colours, nappies are really important with breastfeeding. <laughs> Um, and then look at the weight gain as well. So, you know, babies will wait after birth. And I think what's probably not understood is that when the milk comes in on day three, day four, that that's not all the milk she's ever going to have. The kind of onslaught of milk. And then the next couple of weeks is where she builds it up. The person that builds it up is the baby. Okay. And the baby does that by cluster feeding. So they have nothing. Um, But the baby's putting the demand in. So one of the terms that we will use Put your order in today for what you want tomorrow. So if the baby feeds and feeds and feeds today, put up the milk and yeah. the, it goes up tomorrow. And that's what's supposed to happen. There is sometimes a little bit of confusion about cluster feeding in that cluster feeding that lasts for a day. Okay. Like it's not something that goes on for days and days and days. That would be where there's an issue. So I sometimes will get mothers coming to me where they're just absolutely exhausted and they're going is this really what it's supposed to be like? Um, and when we look at the pattern, we realize that what they thought feeding was actually the baby was hungry, the baby wasn't gaining weight, the baby was finding it really hard to, uh, to get enough milk. Um, so there's a difference between them. Um, a lot of babies will do kind of a cluster of a couple of hours before they go to bed. At night. So very common is for the baby to start feeding frequently say six or seven o'clock in the evening maybe until 11 some people just sit on the couch and they feed back forth now that's where they're tanking up okay literally they're filling filling up to have a longer sleep um breast milk in the evenings is tired um when the light goes down and that helps them sleep and one of the things that they think is the cluster feeding reason why they do that it's kind of at about three weeks old and then goes on to maybe 12 weeks. It is limited. It doesn't forever. But you knew, you, I remember myself being totally thrown by that. You know, I was a pediatric nurse and worked. I taught mothers how to breastfeed. And so really when I had it, my first, the only thing I really had to crack was breastfeeding myself because <laughs> I knew all about babies. But I didn't know. <laughs> and I remember ringing um, one of the breastfeeding counsellors with Quidju and saying, God, he just he never, he never stops in the evening. And she explained what was going on. And she said, Look, try and have your dinner a little bit earlier, you know, um, or just don't follow with it and expect it. And it doesn't last forever. But particularly when there's others there, it can be really difficult when a mum is trying to, you know, get the dinner, get the other kid, and this baby wants to feed all the time. <laughs> um, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. And what the, another term that I kind of came across in the research was combination feeding. What's mm-hmm. combination feeding? 
the combination is where you would um breastfeed and also give formula as well so it um it, and the kind of ratios of combination feeding will vary on the reason for combination feeding. So some people will choose to combination feed if to give the baby a bottle of formula the last thing at night. Some people feel that it helps the baby sleep more. The evidence would say it doesn't um, in that it makes them a little bit more rattled. Other people will choose to combination feed because they want to, they don't want to exclusively breastfeed. Um, and it's all about finding the balance with what's the right amount and not affecting the milk that you have. Okay. Like there's a certain point with some women where when their milk supply goes to a level, it plummets. It just, there isn't enough stimulation to keep it there. It's different for everybody. Um, the other people that then will combination feed with low milk supply. So the mothers who have had um, one of the biggest things would be a pointer to it is where their breasts haven't changed in pregnancy. Now, that's not always an in of low milk supply problems, but it can be, particularly when there's been fertility issues such as ovaries, thyroid, all of those hormonal things can't to low milk supply. Um, okay. And so those mums generally will, will have, may, they may know that, you know, it might be a little bit tougher when they get to the second or third week after birth, that getting up to the next level of milk can be, can be harder for them. Um, and they would be mothers. I love working, you know, with those because keeping them breastfeeding um, is so empowering. They, they, they need to use a little bit of formula to keep the baby growing, breastfeed all around that. And then we have lots of tricks and ways to do that where you can feed the baby breast with the formula where you just use a tube, you put one end in a bottle, the other end is baby's mouth and the baby then gets the extra milk that it needs to grow but stays breastfeed. Because this is where we would kind of talk about it's not just about the milk. You know, for the breastfeeding is very... Um, others <laughs> it can be so important to them um that they identify being a mother is breastfeeding that's what their their whole identity of mothers tied into breastfeeding um and so if that doesn't work it's really really difficult on logically yeah uh, yeah uh, and then, yeah because it is one of those things that like it's expected if you know what i mean yeah um and that can't be easy mentally or physically because your body's going through enough already there's especially if you're like we were talking off air about um mothers who have had potentially uh, complications or have had miscarriages previously mm -hmm. there's grief there and that kind of be, can be brought into the, onto it as well so there's a huge element to it and I, I, I don't want to downplay that at all um mm. one of the other terms that i hadn't heard before was a thing called tongue tie <laughs> I know when you like you get tongue tied when you get a little bit like you're in trouble, uh, but like what 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 is tongue tie and like what treatment is available? Oh, tongue tie is where there's a piece of tissue underneath baby's tongue. We all have it. It's called a frenulum, and we have them all the way down our body. It's not just under the tongue, but um, 
when a baby latches on to breed, they need to be able to grasp the breast with their jaw and tongue. And when they're tied, that piece of tissue is tighter. And so they struggle more with latching. Sometimes they run out of power in that they can't stay breastfeeding at the breast long enough to get enough milk. Um, or they basically damage the nipples so much that the mother is in bits and she may get mastitis um, because of the nipple damage because bacteria goes in through the through the cracks. So that would be kind of the, you know, symptoms that you know could mean that the baby had a tight frenulum is the word there's different degrees of tongue ties so there are ones like right out at the tip of the tongue and um, where when somebody can't even lift up their tongue or out um and that's where you might have seen speech issues with older people they have a list for where they can't pronounce words probably because they have not used their, their tongue is 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 restricted um some people will find ways around it. It's not, you know, room for them. And they'll make a sound another way. <laughs> so this is um, one of the, I wouldn't say it's controversial, but so we're in a position here at the moment where we have few public services to divide tongue tie in breastfed babies. And one hospital in Dublin at the moment, the COOM is providing a tongue tie service where if a baby is breastfeeding and the um and on the baby check, the patient or the midwives pick up that there is a more anterior frenulum tie. They will bring the baby back in a week later, a week or two later, and they will divide it there and nest in a, in a clinic. Baby comes in for 20 minutes and mum pops the baby on the breast afterwards and, and most of the time it works beautifully. So it is a very easy procedure if it's now. I guess that probably where the controversy has come in is that um some people feel that and i do too <laughs> that that the right to do is to really work and build a milk supply and and really give breastfeeding a good go rather than straight in and dividing the tie um which is happening you know is that mothers bypassing the the lactation consultants and the work of not not that it's not their fault they're going straight to clinics and getting them divided baby's tongues divided and then nothing has improved i was only just talking to somebody yesterday had had that experience with um with her baby before and was really upset about it because that she she felt that it had been unnecessary because the the tongue tie didn't didn't make any difference and yet she thought this was going to be the yeah so we don't need major research or the only research we have is that in the anterior which is the ones that are quite visible that um reduce nipple pain um which can generally happen anyway <laughs> so in the weeks go by and what can you um, do to kind of reduce nipple pain and stuff it's a looking at latching and positioning so a lot of people will concentrate on what's going on between nest and the baby's mouth whereas i would be very much looking into you know the whole baby's body um on how it's positioned on the mother's body a really simple thing that mothers can do if they're listening to this wondering you know god i am having pain in the early days is to not baby horizontally across their body to actually drop the baby's bum down a little bit and turn them right into so um 
if you're into fitness and, and all of that, you'll know the hips support the jaw all along the spine. And so if the babies are not rotated in to the, to the mother's body, that'll affect how the jaw is. And the jaw is really important in breastfeeding. In fact, the work of breastfeeding is done more with the jaw than it is for the baby. And that's why breastfed babies have less orthodontic work long because their jaw develops better. That's really interesting. I never knew that about the orthodontist. The, the orthodontist yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, it's literally, you know, when you see a baby feeding, they are jaw up and down. They're not sucking. Everybody thinks they suck. They don't. They actually a little bit of vacuum and they drop their jaw up and down. And that's how they get the milk out, by compression and a vacuum. Um, and so using that, we, when they look at skulls from years ago, they'll see that the jaws are very, very different um, in that they're much more forward. We have much more overbites now, you know, with the, the um, recessed. Um, now it's not just about breastfeeding, it's also about all eat, less chewing. Yeah, course, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of things. There there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what about the advice for kind of breastfeeding and what to expect as your the baby gains weight and goes through growth spurts? Because obviously that's a, that's a challenge in itself because if the baby's heavier, it's not going to be as simple as movement and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a, a bit of a workout in itself. Yes. Yeah. So the growth spurts are tied into development as well. Growth spurts can happen. First one is generally around day 10 after birth and this one's about three weeks and two important things happen then it's 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 also that the baby grows in weight so they will feed more and they will gain more weight and they'll build up the milk supply but also there's a developmental change happening in their brain too which is that they start to focus more when you look at a 10 day old baby it will intend at you more than a newborn in the early days will and then at three weeks most babies do the three-week growth spurt start to smile a little bit. Um, so there's another uh, three, four months, and that's a motor one where they will start to move more and maybe start to roll or try to, to turn. So I would say to the mothers and the fathers, um, that growth spurt or those growth spurts are like adolescence um, in that the baby is cranky. And, you know, doesn't really know it's for 24 hours, 48 hours, <laughs> um, because their brain is literally, you know, working hard to, to change. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it, is, a, it, know, is, it is mad how there's so much change going on, such a little thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, well, I mean, the difference between a newborn and a three-month-old baby is massive. You know, I mean, they, there's a human baby should have been born in a year and not nine months because we stood up because we as humans stood up that our pe women's pelvis has got narrower and that's why they have to come out <laughs> um, and you know because of the mammal species human the most helpless yeah um you know they can't do anything they can't move they can move they can't crawl in that if you put a baby on a mother's body the baby will actually come and latch on if we wait long enough, <laughs> but most of the time we're in too much of our, <laughs> we're like, oh no, let's get, get this feed over with, we got to move on, we got to do this, we got to do that. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot of other elements at it, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What are some of the biggest myths that you see 
with with breastfeeding because there's so many myths out there in every aspect but it with breastfeeding um, there seems to be a, a, a couple i suppose you know one of the biggest ones that i see is that it's really really difficult and you know it's not for everybody um see, i think the knowing before your information before you have the baby is really important it's a little bit like other people will will say god i wish i put more prep into breastfeeding not into the birth because the birth lasts for 24 hours and people will do weeks and weeks and weeks of prep and then what comes afterwards then can be a bit of a baptismal fire <laughs> so that's one of the myths also that it's always painful it's not for some mothers when in the beginning while they're getting things you know while they i suppose um learning how to latch learning what's right what's they may have nipple pain at latching but after that any sort of pain after the initial latch is a flag and it's you know it's i would say get help with it, it it's you can generally improve that an awful lot um and what else I'm trying to think what other myths are out there. <laughs> I, think, I think you mentioned one at the beginning regarding the alcohol. I think that was one of the big ones that kind of comes through mm. an awful lot regarding alcohol. Because I think um, a lot of people like to have a drink and they don't want to really give that up. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, uh, certainly it's 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 absolutely doable. And the World Health Organization will, or not the, even like the big breastfeeding countries, like say, no, the big breastfeeding country, they have 97% breastfeeding rate there um and we have this uh, we have this saying you know like the norwegian breasts are the same as irish breasts and german breasts like they're they're not any different it's just all about the support and others get and you know norwegian mothers have a drink too <laughs> it's not yeah um it's very very cultural and very much you know our mothers our grandmothers maybe didn't breastfeed um and so they don't know about, and this is something that people will build up knowledge of over years and years and years rather than trying to learn it all in a few weeks in other countries you know that, that it'll just ingrained in them i see some women from other countries who come to me um haven't been in ireland that long and they go what is going on with you here <laughs> you know the, the people's attitudes are really really strange um, they sense this disable that they just didn't get yeah. in their home country. Yeah, it, it, as you said, it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing with like most things. It's just like it's just social norm somewhere, but it could be a, a social norm, a social <laughs> stigma somewhere else. Um, I think one of the things you want to talk about, <clears throat> what you mentioned off air, was uh, we were going to talk about dealing with oversupply, but you also wanted mm. to talk about undersupply. Um, yeah. Can you explain the difference between the two? Please. Okay, well, you know, um, oversupply is where there's too much milk. One of the most common things that can, how that would, you know, manifest in the baby is that if the baby's been flooded with milk, um, the, when the mother latches the baby on, there's a, there's a term called the letdown, which is where the milk starts to. So some people's letdown will be really, really strong. And so when that happens, when the baby gets the letdown, um, the milk sprays out and the baby and comes off coughing and spluttering. Um, and that can be very 
you know, very upset because it doesn't make the feeding calm and easy. Um, if you're always, what do you think? Oh my God, he's going to choke. Um, or the baby's really, really gassy and you know, and off all the time and just a bit miserable. <laughs> so that that's oversupply. It can just by hormonal things. Um, and it also can be caused by too much suction in the early weeks. So if a mum was feeding and she had a great milk and she started to pump as well in those first two to three weeks, she could too much milk. And then the baby kind of does suffers for that. You know, it's very you have to be careful in those first few weeks about overstimulating. You know, you can bring the supply down. And I would say the work with a lactation consultant, because sometimes if a baby's having a problem feeding, it can look like it's oversupply. It can look like there's too much, but it may not be. Okay. You have to have a massive weight gain in the baby for it to be oversupply. Okay. So looking at the, sometimes babies that are struggling to feed will not be gaining weight and people, they have oversupply because the baby's popping on and off and is, you know, looking very uncomfortable, but they're piling on the pounds um, week by week, it's not oversupply. It's something. Um, this is where I suppose you know it's just the the speciality of a lactation consultant comes in, looking at the whole picture, the history, the feeding, watching a whole feed, seeing what's going on, and then hopefully fixing it. <laughs> um, undersupply or low supply, as we were saying, is more common in mums that have, you know, hormonal issues, um, or also. An interesting one is what we're seeing more is that um, it is more common in people who've had eating disorders. Um, so where women haven't have have their periods have stopped, and they haven't period a period of time where they haven't had periods due to excessive loss or excessive over exercising. Um, very important that they, you know, that they do still. Their cycle is is working, particularly in those late teenage years, because that's where a lot of breast tissue is built up. In pregnancy, it's also in the teenage years. Um, and we have signs and markers. So another another group of women who may run into problem would definitely need specialist help would be women who'd had implants or breast reductions. Um, where depending on the reason for the implants. Um, implants themselves don't have problems with breastfeeding, but if if there was if the reason for the implants was because of the particular breast shape that the mother had, then that could be low breast tissue. Um, so yeah, it's a huge area. It's something that we would love to see more research and more, um, more knowledge about. Currently, here in about a year and a half ago. Myself and two other lactation consultants, we have always felt that the mothers who have low milk supply really, you know, we have been abandoned a bit in that they didn't feel comfortable going to breastfeeding groups. They they were always being judged that they just didn't work hard enough, you know, that that, that was the reason why they had the combination. Um, very much feeling quite lonely in their whole breastfeeding Um and so we started a group for them called Purple Hearts. Um, and in the pandemic, that's moved online. So the great thing about that is that there's people from all over in it now. It's Dublin. Um, and it's a very special breastfeeding group. 
um, full alert um, and one of the lactation consultants is actually doing her master's in UCD and it's on low milk supply and the experiences of mothers. And so when that comes out, you'll have to have her on. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking for guests to kind of keep me, uh, to keep the, the, the listeners uh, occupied and uh, to, to learn yeah. more importantly. And I think yeah. over a year or two before it's all kind of, you know, she's doing all the interviews at the moment, but, um, you know, first of its kind to be done here in Ireland. Yeah, I don't miss doing those interviews for a thesis. I do not miss doing those. And then writing it up. And the transcription. Oh, no, thank you. I'll pass on that. Um, I think the last question I'm going to ask is in relation to how to stop breastfeeding. Um, because I think that's... A big um, thing the best way to stop is to stop slowly. Okay? So there's kind of... There's, there's two ways. So one where the mother is just like, I'm done. I don't even want to, you know, put the baby to my breast again. And we would kind of say that's cold turkey you know, literally just stopping straight. Um, you, you have to bring the milk fully. If you just stop breastfeeding, the breast would fill up and you would most likely get mastitis really, really sore. So the best way to do it is to drop feeds every couple of days. Um, and so that would mean like for a certain period of time, you would feed the baby something else. Breast would get a bit full, but not so full that they're really uncomfortable. And that's where the body gets the mess down, you know, and um, to go from full breastfeeding to none at all, you know, best done a couple of months. But in the event that it has to be done fast, you know, two to three weeks um, would be a way to, you know, a realistic time to think about it, because it's not just about bringing down, it's also transferring the baby over to another, another milk their system can get quite boned up yeah. and yeah so you know it's, it's easier to do it slowly and also hormonally for the mother it it can be quite a drop because the hormones of breastfeeding um you know it's a little bit like having baby blues after okay, yeah, yeah so right. so slowly and steadily um but a lot of people you know at the moment now i'm doing a fair bit of um back to work consults and um where moms are going back to work they think that they have <laughs> like it's just something that they haven't that they just assume that they have to stop but they can actually my battery here is low sorry i'm looking at it going and i don't know why it is it shouldn't um they think that they have to stop and they don't realize that they can feed once or twice a day in the morning and in the evening and continue to um continue to breastfeed like that their milk will stay at that level particularly if they're six eights in and um, like the body will maintain the milk for most people and they love that they can continue to you know feed the baby have that lick the baby and also pass the baby whatever immunity it needs at that stage because when it starts to crash and all that sort of stuff they do come into more contact with more um more and so being breastfed helps them. Amazing. No, and I think there's so much information in that episode. I think there's so much information that you've kind of given from kind of like the nutrition, the drinking, dealing with breastfeeding in public, tongue tie. There's so much information about there. So where can people work with yourself, Nicola, and where can people find out about the, the classes and work with yourself? Uh, well, my website is breastfeedingsupport.ie and then where you find me most is on Instagram. <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. 
so my Instagram page has a lot of, and, and I love it because I have a lot of um, kind of tutorials and stuff on my highlights. And like even just um, yesterday, I woke up and it was a message from a mother who was in hospital at 2 a.m. in the morning. And she was like, oh my God, you are my savior. Just looked at your highlight on XYZ and I have no pain. And I was like, yep, that's... That's, that's why I do it. Yeah. That's, yeah. So probably Nicola underscore lactation consultant is finding me. And I will be talking there about all the courses that I'm doing and um, availability for the consults and all of that as well. Nicola, I cannot thank you enough for <laughs> giving so much of your time and so much information there. And I think it's, 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 it's lovely to meet you. Exactly. Yeah. And I, the <laughs> fact you're, you're, you were talking about Sam's bar, which is only down the road. I don't go, I don't frequent the barber these days, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for your time. And um, thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. Thanks, Shane. Thank you.